Please be advised this story contains adult content and graphic language. When she's trapped, it just falls apart. It's just awful. And I said, no, no. You didn't think about what I should have done or what I could have done. You said you told me to burn the body. Did you think I was Dan last night? Welcome to Sleuth. I'm Linda Sawyer. That chilling moment you just heard happened between Rachel Buffett and her then-boyfriend, Scott Errett, who spent two years with Rachel only months after Dan Wozniak's arrest for murder. In an exclusive interview, Scott sat down with us to talk about his time with Rachel. So I wanted to first sort of recall when we first met and I remember you live pretty far from here, right? Almost two hours, yeah, out in the high desert. So. And I remember renting my little orange juice can car. <laughs> and I think I was driving through what they call the grapevine or something like that. I no, don't know. it was before that, but you're on the 14, which is just a windswept high desert thing. Oh, my gosh. Thing. All I remember is white knuckled. <laughs> and I'm like, why is this car moving into other lanes that I'm not asking it to do? <laughs> like, am I going to make it alive? Yeah. And then it got there. It was like this, for this New York City girl, it's like <laughs> making county wide with those tumbleweeds. Like, it I is. Said, I live in Maybury RFD. That's yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very odd place, but I like it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm like, well, you know, I have to talk to Rachel Buffett's ex boyfriend oh, who. God. Who, who knows it all, who heard it all and saw it all, right? So I said, it's, it's going to be worth it. And uh-huh. eight hours later, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, we had a good time, though. We did. We talked for a long time. We certainly yeah, did. We closed down the coffee shop. We st- yeah. I think we opened it and closed it, <laughs> right? Yeah, just about. Every once in a while, my mouth would drop, but I'd pull it back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you made me, I, I mean, I started, because I hadn't thought about it in a while. I started talking about it, and I realized just how bizarre it sounds. When you say when it you out loud. Say, when you say it out loud, And yeah. when someone's typing it into their computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're just in the middle of it, you're just, you know, that's one thing. But when when you're telling on someone who's, yeah, who's typing it, you're going, uh-huh. uh-huh. Do I say that? Well, yeah. And then she says, hey, how about come on come on my podcast and tell, <laughs> tell the whole country all. Sure, yeah. Well, but, but I love what you're doing, so I think it's a good idea. So somebody has to – it's incredible to me that the, the, the most uh, – the most they can charge her with is accessory after the fact. Well, we have been speaking to quite a few people and, you know, I've I've tried to pose the question, you know, is it possible that she didn't know that she was duped, which is mm-hmm. what she's saying. And there is just not one yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like, oh, God, no. Have you talked to her mother? No, but in well, court, you're... I've certainly <laughs> made my pleasantries, but uh-huh. they pretty much, I think, at this point, try to keep to themselves. Yeah. Probably smart on their part. Well, certainly after Dr. Phil, I think she even said, you know, something. Because Steve Hare, who's the father of Sam, said to her, I'd appreciate if you'd stop doing interviews Mm -hmm. and wait till the trial. Because if you're innocent, let's have the justice system decide that. And she said, maybe I have made a mistake coming on this show. Yeah, you think? She's sort of unraveled. I'd love to know your impressions because you did say you saw her on the show. Um, It was a typical performance. It was the the big doe eyes and the Disney princess head nods and the how dare you think this of me. And we're talking about two dead people and and families that are grieving. And still she managed to make the show all about her, which tells you a lot right there. It's she's the victim, not the dead people. Not the family of the dead people, but she's the victim. And she even referenced that, and I think she felt like she was being gracious when she said, listen, I'm a victim, but I know I come after Julian Uh Sam. And probably even the victim's families. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you're really figuring where you are on it. How gracious, how, how, you know, extraordinary that you can... It's like pure psychotic narcissism. It's right there on display. I I know that I'm not the main victim. Sam and Julie are the main victims. And then I think even secondary would be their families. I'm after all that. I realize that. And that's why, that's why I didn't want to come out in the limelight before, two and a half years ago. I tried to keep it to myself and tried to work through it and try and do my own little healing process or whatever. 
Let's talk about the church and Christianity <laughs> and, and how it plays such a part in this in the family, in the Buffett family, mm-hmm. and certainly you know firsthand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of our interviews, uh, Daniel Halkyard, who was a friend of Dan Wozniak, said that she hides behind her faith. Would you agree with that statement? She doesn't just hide behind it. She uses it. It's 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 brilliant. I saw a meme the other day that made me think of her. It says something about uh, I never trust someone who can just confess their crimes to their imaginary friend once a week. And I thought, well, there you go. You know, I mean, the whole story with her father and the hookers and the bankrupting the family and then getting angry with her mother because she was hurt by it and telling her, I've been forgiven. You need to get over it. Did he really say That's that to what he in said your to presence? Me. No, no, no. Rachel told me about it and her mother told me about it and but that's how they feel. Once once God forgives you, you're good to go. In fact, I think you even said to me when we met that Monday through Saturday, <laughs> do whatever you want, but yeah. as long as you ask for forgiveness on Sunday. Yeah. I th- well, I think I told you, I th- I, she sees the Ten Commandments as a bucket list. And she's getting through it really well. I mean, you know, she's crossing them off that list one at a time. And it's okay because on Sunday, you goes, I'm sorry. And then you can start all over again. I've asked this of, of people that, you know, are they born again or really Christianity is, is, is a, you know, certainly a, a backbone of, of their livelihood. And I'm like, this whole forgiveness stuff, like mm-hmm. God forgives you. God mm-hmm. forgives everyone on death row. and every, uh-huh. So you could just do whatever you want and then just say, God, forgive me. And the person said to me, but you have to mean it. And I think if you're psychotic enough, you can do it confess it and mean it, and then do it again. I mean, why not? You know, um, the, the, long before anybody was murdered, she, you know, a thief like nobody's business for, for fun. Just steal things for fun. And how you can be the ultra-religious person and think it's fun to see how much crap you can walk out of Walmart with stuffed in your clothing is bizarre to me. I know. I, I've had interviews with several of her friends that she literally stole on pretty much a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it was food, alcohol, clothes, furniture in their house. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the gals who was supposed to be in her wedding party said she even stole her bridesmaid's dresses in her wedding dress. I'm like, how do you do that? I mean, she's a tiny thing. Yeah. Where did yeah. she fit it? I don't know. She's very ingenious. We, uh, I was at Walmart with her one time. And she told me she was going to steal some makeup. And I said, no, 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 not, not, not while I'm here. You can do whatever you want, but, but if you need makeup, I'll buy it for you. I'll buy it. Well, no, I don't need it. I don't need it. Okay. So we get up to the checkout stand. And she says, oh, I, I forgot something. And I thought, oh, no. And she runs back to the makeup section. And, but she came back with this little thing of like perfume or nail polish, something, something in, a, in a box. And so I took it out of her hand and put it on the thing and I paid for it, you know. And we got out of the car and she started just like giggling maniacally. I'm like, what? And she opened the box and said, this is a box for a $5 one. And I put this $21 in the box. And she was so proud of herself. Wow. And I said, I was going to pay for it. What difference does it make? But it was it was the thrill of doing it. It's the thrill. It's yeah. the adventure. Of violating the Ten Commandments, I swear to the you. The bucket list. It's oh her bucket God. list. One of uh, uh, one of her friends, one of their mutual friends that they had met recently, a gentleman by the name of Chris Williams, who was the person that loaned them the money to stave off the eviction the week of the murders. And he's got a story himself. But uh, he met with them the night before. They invited him over for like barbecuing, I don't know, sausages, whatever. And he said that he felt as if there was this feeling of we've got to know what the next level of challenge in our lives feels like. We need to know what it feels like to 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 maybe what it feels like to murder someone. Mm-hmm. And the reason he said that was he said that Dan had recited on the deck uh, this, I don't know if you know this movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, no. Anyway, it's a it's based on a Patricia Highsmith book, who sort of was the equivalent of Stephen King in Europe, and she mm. does all these kind of creepy stories. and And the lead in the movie, the talented Mr. Ripley, was played by Matt Damon, and that was Dan's favorite movie role. And in front of Chris Williams, 
Dan starts reciting scenes as the character of Tom Ripley, who steals people's identities, and then when they figure out who he is, he kills them. Ah. So there's Daniel reciting, you know, word for word scenes as if he's that Matt Damon character, mm -hmm. and then he sings this song, uh, this beautiful aria, word for word, and. Literally, Chris said, I was chilled to the bone because at that moment, Sam Hare leans over his deck and he said, hey, you know, knock it off down there. You guys having some fun? And and Daniel's like, come on down, Sam. And he's like, no, I'm going to go to bed, but I'll see you in the morning. And he goes, OK, you know, see you tomorrow. Uh, thanks for helping me. Like, because Sam, that was the day that Sam, he had arranged to see you for tomorrow Sam. was the go help him move. Was the go help him move in the in the theater. And that was the day Dan murdered Sam. Yeah, so he's like, I'll see you wow. tomorrow. How? And and honestly, when that whole scene is, is you know, told to me, I yeah. got chills. Because, oh, yeah. Right? I mean, life imitating art, like, it's just so bizarre. And, and that person said to me, I just got the feeling like they wanted to know. They needed to know the next level of crazy. They needed to know what it felt like to kill someone. Mm -hmm. You know, so... It sort of falls in line with a, a lot of what you told me about her or your experiences with her. It's... That's really creepy. Um, <laughs> it, there is. I think there's a, there's a feeling of, of superiority um, because, well, first of all, she, you know, God's on her side. So how can you beat that? She's that's, covered. That's pretty perfect by itself. And the, there's that feeling of, of she loves to manipulate and see what she can get people to do that's outside their comfort zone. And so I think she generally, um, in partners, picks people that she thinks she's going to be able to manipulate like that. She made control. A she made a mistake with me. <laughs> it didn't work. But and it didn't she, work for your five other wives. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Let's just bring that up. Why don't we? No, it didn't because I'm a, a little strong-willed. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the manipulation thing, she would play weird manip manipulation games. Weird, weird, weird stuff. I like remember what? I remember going to the movies once, and uh, it was like 15 minutes before we could get into So we bought our tickets, and we're sitting on these stairs outside the movie theater. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she says to me, I've <laughs> – and she would say this stuff with a straight face, Linda. She would she would look at you with a, and say, "I've decided that my walk with Jesus isn't strong enough, and so we need to stop having sex because it's against my religion." <laughs> so at that point, I didn't know that there was a religion that was against sex. Well, you know, we weren't married, so it was a it was a horrible sin. I was getting laid on a regular basis by someone <laughs> half my age. So I might die in between. <laughs> yeah, there's a risk to everything. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't believe I tell you these things. <laughs> okay, this is amateur psychology, and it's, it, who knows? But she was so controlled growing up. I've never heard of people editing the bad parts out of Disney cartoons. But her parents wouldn't let them watch a movie unless they had gone through and taken out anything they didn't like in, like, Bambi. I was just going to say, like, Bambi yeah. taking a shower? Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. They, they would take out anything. That they, so she and she wasn't allowed to go to school, and she wasn't allowed to play with the kids in the neighborhood, and she wasn't allowed to, you know, because they weren't good Christians. So I think... And her only book, I think was I heard... Was the Bible. Yeah, was the Bible. That's, that's it. So then she decided to go to college, and I think her parents weren't very fond of this idea, but she wanted to do it, so she went to the local community college, and all of a sudden, the world opened up. Sure. And she realized, oh, my God, I'm pretty. I can be sexy. I can hold my liquor. And I can... And she just... I think she, she found blossomed. power. When yeah, she, right? absolutely. Power. Absolutely. You know, the guys are, you know, panting and looking at her and going... <laughs> and she said, oh, okay, I've got this power. And she learned to use it. And when she jumped, she jumped. I mean, that's... Seriously, that's when the, the Ten Commandments became not, not the Ten Commandments, but the bucket list. That was, I can get away with anything because well, I'm pretty. Her friends at school, at college, said that she started to smoke because she felt like because she was homeschooled, she really didn't know how she could relate to other people in, in a social setting. And mm -hmm. so she thought that made her look cool. And the same thing with the drugs, like, I'm going to be cool now because mm -hmm. I want everybody to like me or at least feel like I belong. And I, part of that, I think, is, you know, the isolation of homeschooling and, and, and what that does to your own psyche, you know, when yeah. you really haven't had the chance to 
you know, exchange and, and be a part of a regular day life mm-hmm. of a kid. Yeah. Or find out who you are and what you what you like and don't like because the only thing you have is what's spoon fed to you by your slightly insane parents. Right. I believe that you told me a story that she shared with you about um this a gay student yeah. at the college. Yeah. Tell us tell tell us about I, that. I don't know a lot about it. I mean I know she she gets a, a great kick and a giggle out of the fact that there was this gay kid and she talked him into having sex with her so that she could show me wasn't gay or so that she could just so that she could do it. Again, manipulation, I don't know. Maybe I'm, if I can get this gay kid to have sex with me, that's an accomplishment. And mm-hmm. she did. Mm-hmm. There's more Why? to the story I heard from her boyfriend at the time in college where, ah. where she came back. That she took, him, uh, she took him outside of the rehearsal space. They were in a, in a show together and brought him back to, I guess, a dorm apartment, whatever. And they did, in fact, uh, have a gaunt conjugal visit, uh-huh. uh, but it didn't go so well. And supposedly she came back to set and ridiculed him in front of the cast. Sure. To the point where he left the school. That would make sense, yeah. I mean... Well, he's gay, and that's... She's religious. That's wrong, you know. (laughs) Well, because God... Because it's not... Murder's okay, and stealing's okay. Right. But being gay, that's... That's wrong. You gotta get rid of that. Ungodly. Yeah, it's ungodly. Yeah. You know, I have to wonder, when you have a family that's so structured, and and the, the whole idea of faith and leading the good life of a Christian is is just permeates their, their everyday mm-hmm. existence, right? But yet she finds out that the reason why they're not well off and, quite frankly, always struggling for money is because the father's spending his paychecks on prostitutes mm-hmm. and gambling. Yeah. That's got to make you hate your father or hate men or, or hate the idea of being poor because of a man. Do, do you feel like that in some way had some bearing on... Some of her behavior and choices? No, I think that rolls her father up a few notches in her eyes. Really? How so? Because she has no respect for anybody or anything normal. So I think her father doing that made her go, cool, look what he's doing. Because she thinks her mom's a a moron because her mother just is nothing but Jesus all day long. I mean, there's post-it notes all over the house and the... Jesus pillows and Jesus this and pictures on the wall. And and her dad said, enough of that. I'm going to go have fun. And I think she liked that. I think she respected that. So the that. rebellious act is what she approved yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. Now, didn't he at one point actually have an extramarital affair that Marianne mm-hmm. found out about? Tell mm-hmm. us about How did you learn about that? Um, she told me about it, and she said that uh, her mother found notes in the glove box or someplace, something like that. And... Um, but she she was never angry with him. She wasn't like, I can't believe he would do something like that. She would just talk about, that's what my dad did. No, now my mother's really upset. Uh, let's go steal something. You know, it's... it's <laughs> it was just matter of fact. Yeah, it didn't really bother her. So if it didn't have to do with her, it didn't bother her. Is exactly, that what you're saying? Yeah. How did you first meet Rachel Buffett? <laughs> um, I was working at Medieval Times. And uh, uh, she came to work at Medieval Times as a princess. Um, and I had been dating one of the other princesses, and uh, that was uh, falling apart. And then uh, Rachel came to work there, so I called her one night and said, uh, do you want to get together and have coffee or something? And she said she was out with her brother, or her brothers, I don't forget which. But um, when they get back, sure. So she met me at a coffee shop um, down here in Orange County, because it was a long drive home for me, so I would often stay down here. And we sat there talking forever, and I remember... We were talking about acting. We were talking about uh, medieval times. What a bizarre place it is! And we were talking about uh, she had worked for Disney. What a bizarre place that was! And just as we were getting ready to part for the evening, she says to me, "Oh, by the way, just you should know that if you're going to become friends with me, that um, you may be investigated by the FBI and 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 police's police forces and and things like this." And I said, well, why is that? She said, well, I had something happen. I said, what did you do? She said, no, I didn't do anything, but my ex-fiance did something. And I don't, I don't want to talk about it, but just so you know, that, that could happen. I said, well, okay. So good night. We laughed. And 
So then we started seeing each other more, and I kept asking, "What? What is it? That, what? What did he do? Was he a drug dealer? No, 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 no. What? What? What did he do? And finally, one and night, you genuinely didn't know. At the I time. had no idea. And finally, one night, I said, "So, come on, about your experience. What is he like? An axe murderer or what?" And her face turned eighty shades of red, and she said, "We need to talk." And I said, "Okay." And I'm thinking, "Oh my God, he's an axe murderer." So we met for dinner. She told me the whole st- her version of the whole story, and my jaw was on the ground. I thought, and it works. I thought, "Oh, you poor thing! Oh my God, what How a horrible!" How did she relate the story to you? That uh, that she was engaged to be married to this guy, and that. It, Nothing. He was leading a complete double life, and everything he said was a lie, and she believed it all because she was madly in love with him. And and, and then all of a sudden, he'd murdered her friends, and she couldn't believe And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is terrible. And that lasted for a while. And the more we talked and the more I learned, the more I realized... That story isn't quite the way it happened. There's a little more to it than that. And oh my God, I think you fucking killed people. Pardon me. I think, you know, it, it, but it happens because honestly, she is, can be pretty good at that Disney princess, big blue eyed, looking up at you with all the innocence in the world for a while. I think in passing it works. But when you start to to see the pattern and you start to put it together with all the other stuff and you go, oh, this is... And it works for like a short stint, right? Like a soundbite. But if you're on anything longer, like a Dr. Phil show, (laughs) eventually it unravels. Like when she had her press conference after, when she was arrested November of 2012, Uh when she was finally released and they had a little press conference in front of the jail and... And, uh, you know, she was batting away there and mm-hmm. just, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm innocent. Mm-hmm. And Noah was there, you know, caressing her. And That's about as creepy her. as it gets. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that evening she was telling friends, I've interviewed those friends, and they and that she said, to, instead of being, like, just forlorn that, you know, you were about to marry this psychotic, right? Yeah. Instead she's telling all her friends, do you hear them? They're calling me an actress. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was her overriding statement about all of the press that she was getting from that day. Because now she's famous. Right. Wow. And even when she was on Dr. Phil, he made some comment about, you know, that sounded rehearsed. Now, you are an actress, so we have to be aware of that. And Uh you might be a very good actress. Uh And she just recoiled, like, in this, like, kitten-like, you know, Posture, just uh-huh. smiling ear to ear, like yeah. that's all we're talking about here, right? Is that yeah. that you could be a good actress? Wow. You know, that's that's really not the that's not the headline, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. But it, you're talking about her, so it's good. As long as you're talking about her, it's all good. It's all wonderful. So after you heard that story, or what you thought was the real story, yeah. you you felt for her. Yeah, I mean. I, she was a victim in all this, you know, and tragic and horrible that someone so young and pretty and and cute and just innocent and sweet would be subjected to this horrible murdering. I mean, I bought it hook, line, and I think I'm a pretty shrewd guy, but I'm not sure I was thinking properly. So I, uh, I bought it. it that, yeah, we'll we? just leave it at okay. that. I bought it. I thought, wow. So... I, so I, you were going to be her savior. Yeah, be her protector and ensure that you know there's a there's a whole wonderful world out there. Come out, ride horses, the we'll have a good Scott. time. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, it's just slowly. It started with the stealing. It started with the drinking, and then the stealing stuff, and then the the pride in in the strangest things. At one point, we were just casually dating. At this point. She got all excited because she gets a free trip to Vegas. And I said, how are you getting a free trip to Vegas? And there was some guy who was going to take her to Vegas. James Mulligan. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, that's not quite free. I, I don't think he's taking her there for free. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't have to do anything. So she goes to Vegas, and we're texting. And she, she took her friend along, and her friend is a 
Kelly is just a, another whole bizarre. Is that Kelly Fleming? Thing. I don't know yeah, her real it. name. They call oh. her Kerosene Kelly. I think that's Kelly Fleming. And she's woo man. So what do you mean woo man? Um, just a huge enabler, huge enabler, and and has some strange. She <laughs> she would take her to lesbian clubs. Kelly would. Yeah, and Rachel insisted. Well, she's not gay. I said, why? Why, why would she, she be taking to... you to, to lesbian clubs? Well, just I mean to show off. Show what off? I, that's I, I, it. Didn't make any sense. And now I'm beginning to think. Well, maybe she's not the sweet. Maybe she's just remarkably stupid. And then I slowly realized. No, she's not stupid either. She liked being shown off mm-hmm. because it was all about her. So if a friend who insists to her, look, I am not gay. I just want to take you to this club and show you off as my girlfriend. We'll pretend. It's like the trophy girl, the trophy wife. Yeah, I don't know. It was the most bizarre. So she takes her with her to Vegas. And I'm thinking, this guy thinks he's got it made now. He's going to, oh, my God. I think he did. He probably (laughs) did. So we're saying, and she texted me something to me about, well, you know, I had to thank him last night. What? What are you, a prostitute? This is the most bizarre thing. So she comes back, and she tells me, I've been in tears for two days. I can't believe you would think that of me. I said, wait a minute. You went to Vegas with some guy you said kind of creeps you out, but you had sex with him in exchange for being taken to Vegas. And you're upset that someone would consider that prostitution? Are you serious? So There's a preamble to that story. Okay, well, I'd love to know the preamble to that story. <laughs> James Mulligan told me that, you know, he's a fantastic artist. I mean, truly does all this Disney art. And, mm-hmm. and I guess it, one of his clients was uh, a church, a local church. <laughs> and he, they asked him to do the, like the nativity scene in one of the walls on the, on the church. And so he's, you know, painting... The, the whole the nativity, scene, the whole yeah. nativity, baby Jesus and all. Uh-huh. And, and she walks in with a fifth of vodka. <laughs> and she walks down the aisle and heads over to him. And he said, before he knew it, uh, there she was down on him yeah. doing a, a, little, a, a little number that uh, he said, I did color outside of the lines at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. Uh, you know, on just the juxtaposition of this, you know, very religious mm-hmm. scene, right? Mm-hmm. One of the most religious mm-hmm. of scenes. Mm-hmm. And there she is doing what she's doing. I said, oh my gosh. It's, well, the dichotomy is uh, it's I, not lost on, <laughs> on anybody. It's okay. So she's at my place one night and she wakes up. It's probably two or three in the morning. And she says, I, I feel an evil presence. And by that time, I was starting to think, well, maybe, maybe it's you. So, so I feel an evil presence. I said, I, I'm sorry. What, what would you like to do about it? And she said, do you mind if I put on some praise music? And I said, I, I think I'm fresh out of praise music. I don't think I am. She said, well, I can, I can get it on your computer. I said, go ahead. Whatever. Go ahead. She gets up and she goes to my laptop and she somehow hooks up to something. And next thing I know, you know, the, the laptop is our God is an awesome God. He reigns. <laughs> and she climbs back in bed and goes down on me and we have sex to our God is an awesome God. <laughs> I guess that's what she needs. I that's her inspiration. It gets her going. Oh, my word. Nothing makes you hot like Jesus. I don't know. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Didn't you tell me also you had to cover up the, uh, the, dragons? the dragons? Oh, yeah. That was another. She said, um, and she just comes up with this stuff out of nowhere. She says to me, I can't come out to your home anymore. And at this point, she was coming out very regularly. And I said, okay, why not? She said, well... <laughs> You have dragons all over the place. And I like medieval stuff, so I've got different, like, ceramic and, and resin, little dragon sculpture things, you know. But she thought they were pagan? Well, she, I said, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? She said, well, they represent Satan. I said, no, they represent dragons. What are you talking about? <laughs> she said, well, dra- dragons are often used to represent Satan because they're serpent-like and... and 
I said, okay, well, these don't. These represent medieval, you know, knights slaying dragons. It's just dragons. It's it's okay. Go, no, I can't come out there anymore. I said, okay. So I had some little dragon sculptures and some of these little swords. So I put the little swords by the little dragon. I said, there, I've killed all the dragons. Can you come out now? And she says, no, you have to, you have to take them all down. I said, well, I'm not going to take them down. So that's, that's the end of that. And about two days later, she said, are you going to take me home after the show? I said, there are dragons. There'll be dragons out there. <laughs> and she said, it's okay. I said, oh, okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> bizarre, bizarre stuff. And <laughs> everything relates back to God. To right. Jesus, to religion, to the whole upbringing that she strayed so far from and bastardized so much, but she she hangs on to it. Well, she pulls it back in when she needs it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. She, uh, her current boyfriend uh, worked with us at the castle. All three of us worked at, at uh, Medieval Times, and um, he's a pastor's son, and they would quote scripture to each other and they would talk about oh, that's some... billy elliott he Bi- shows yeah. up in court a lot yeah he shows up with like scriptures needle pointed in his shirt yeah well you know he's a good christian so <laughs> he said he has some interesting tattoos yeah he's got some lovely and now i'm not often uh, uh alone with men when they're naked but um at medieval times everyone kind of gets dressed in the same area he's got some lovely uh, nipple piercings and uh and his uh, crotch reads raw dog editor's note i had no idea what raw dog meant but my editor sure did well it's locker room talk it's a guy who has sex without a condom really yeah that's it okay so I mean, but it, it's I think it says raw dog for Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> so there was a point in time in her life where she was heavily involved in drugs, and it was certainly during the times of the murder and soon after the murders that she, uh, you know, she was getting getting crystal meth and ecstasy from all of her her friends. And I don't know if she shared that with you or not, but that was definitely a part of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she talked about it. Yeah. She talked about the the numb feeling and how much she liked the numb feeling. And um, and I remember that stuck in my head because she was talking about, she was almost intimating that you could do anything while you're feeling like that because you don't have any feelings of responsibility or any, uh, any guilt, any anything. And I'm thinking, was that when you planned this stuff then? Did it all make sense while you were that messed up? You know, I, I don't know because I don't understand or I don't get it. But I mean, I've been told by people, I, I've, I've never done these drugs either, but I've been told by people when you are on crystal meth, you could murder your own grandmother. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, mm-hmm. that you have you have no soul anymore. You just don't care. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there, there's just no remorse. There's no nothing. There's no, you're numb. Yeah. And, and, certainly, and what's amazing to me is as numb as she is, in everyday life, I can't imagine how empty she would be with some chemical help. I mean, that's really scary. It really is. That's a frightening thing. You know, you. I think you've said to me before something about her eyes. There, there's nothing there. I honestly, I the last <laughs> the last few months of dating were more like research because I thought I should write a screenplay about this, and I was going to call it empty. Because she is soulless. You can look in there and there's nothing there. They might light up if you're talking about something that she's excited about at the moment, that about her. But for the most part, they're, they're empty. There's nothing there. And that's normal. That's when she's sober. So, and you can see it. You can see it in the interviews. You know what you can see in a Disney cartoon? Obviously, there's nothing there. It's, it's a one-dimensional, there it is. That's what they look like. And it fools you for a minute because it looks like a Disney cartoon. But look at it closer and realize this is a live, actual human being and it looks like a one-dimensional Disney cartoon. And there she was a Disney there. cartoon. She was. She was a Disney princess. She had sex with Daniel in the shell, you know, aerial shell at Disneyland. She was very proud of that, very proud of that. 
And she yeah. also stole from there. She was proud yeah. about that because there's yeah. such security there, but oh, yeah. somehow she managed. Yeah. That's what her boyfriend at the time, Kyle Rubel, was saying that, you know, he said the same thing. I'll pay for it. Don't uh-huh. steal it. And yet she went off with a, a cousin of hers and, and came back all giggly because she was so proud of herself. So proud. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite the accomplishment. Amazing, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> She also has an interesting relationship with her brother, Noah. That's one way to put it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sick relationship. It really is. Tell us why you think so. Um, oh God, several, several things. One of them is the, the, the codependency when it comes to drinking. And finally, at one point, I told her, look, I'm, I'm not ever going to meet you in a bar again. This is never going to happen again. So I'm not doing it. So that's it. And one night I get out of work. She wasn't working as a princess that night. I was working at the castle. I got out and there are all these messages from her. Please come meet me. My brother's in trouble. I need help. So I called her and said, where are you? And she named the bar. And I said, no, I told you. No, I'm not coming to the bar. She said, I don't know what to do. He's crazy. I said, I'll come get you out of the bar, but I'm not hanging around. And she said, okay. So I went over there and there she sits with Noah and he's crying and she's crying and they're both just sloppy drunk. And I said, okay, well, let's go and we'll talk about it. So what is it? So we get, I get him out to my car and I said, what is going on? Well, Noah's girlfriend had gotten pregnant. So he's trying to decide whether a really sharp kick in the stomach will take care of it or if he needs to actually push her down some stairs or Rachel's great idea, which is she can call, I think it was Kelly, and get a whole box of the morning after pills and then grind those up and put it in her food and OD her on that stuff. And surely that would cause her to spontaneously abort. So. And I said, well, okay, this whole thing is nuts. I mean, where would you even get that? Rachel says, I called Kelly and she brought them over. I said, you have them now? So, yeah, like, it's in essence poisoning the girl? Yes! And I said, Noah, have you even talked to her yet? Well, she called me and she said she was pregnant. I said, but have you talked to her about what she wants to do? Maybe she doesn't want to go through with the pregnancy. Maybe it's all okay. Maybe it's... Shouldn't you find that out first? And Rachel's just... Well, he's really upset and he just found out about this. And I said, well, don't humor him. For Christ's sake, you're talking about killing somebody. What is wrong with you? So I took him home and t- took her back to my place and said, this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. And the next day, the girl and Noah talked and she said, you know, I don't want to have a baby. And he said, okay, well, we'll take care of it. And that, that was it. But it, he's getting ready to kill her. <laughs> what the like, hell? How is that a plan even? How is that even plan B? I don't know. <laughs> What's your plan B? That's very good. I saw what you did there. So... <laughs> and then shortly after, so this got me talking about Noah more, because now I'm I'm just fanned. And then she starts very talking intrigued about, yes, as you are, yes. and you go deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to speak. And she starts talking about how small Noah's penis is. And after the third or fourth reference, I said, "How do you know?" And she said, and I quote, "Somebody's got to teach him what to do with it." Did you infer that she had sex with her brother from that statement? Yeah, pretty strongly, yeah. Yeah. And did she sort of give you that indication that she did have sex? What what was she yeah. doing, teaching him? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because who better than her? She's brilliant. She really said that? That's what she said. Then she refused to discuss it anymore. So did you follow up with, are you telling me that you've had Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she brother? said, I don't want, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this, which was her standard MO, which is to drop the bomb and then say, I'm not going to talk about this. In every instance, when you saw Noah and Rachel together, did you get the feeling like it was beyond a normal brother-sister relationship? Yeah, and I asked her about it. Um, and she said, well, you, you don't know. You don't have a sister. I said, well, no, I don't, but I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of weird. No, it's not. It's perfectly normal. What did you think of their relationship on Dr. Phil? It was creepy. What was really creepy to me is why he was wearing a black knit hat on Dr. Phil 
I'd never seen that before. I didn't see him a lot, but I saw him occasionally. We went to the, the, the little wine bar or whatever it is that he had a few times that I saw him at his house and, you know, with the family stuff. The whole thing about the man with the black hat. I know, and that was the basis for one of Rachel's felony charges, this man in a black hat that she repeated as the last person to be with Sam, and he was made up. Right? And he chooses to go on Dr. Phil wearing a weird knit black hat. I know, that was odd, wasn't it? It was a very strange thing. I don't know if he was going to try to... It looked to me he was going to try to set up some alibi thing where she would say, you know what, I saw Noah. That's what made me think of it. Noah always wears this black hat. That's how bizarre and calculated but stupidly calculated. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the murders... The plot, the plan, the conspiracy is so stupid. It's so stupid that only they could have planned it. I, I, I firmly believe she helped plan that. So you're at this point, are you still an, an item? Are you still together with her? <laughs> at th- that was really late. And at that point, I'm really trying to find out what in the hell did she murder these people? I'm thinking maybe he's completely innocent and she did it. As, After you heard I, that. I know I'm going, what the hell? She's plotting I mean, with her brother. She's Her brother's talking about maybe kicking her in the stomach, throwing her down some stairs to cause an abortion. She's talking about killing her. So I thought, well, okay. Did at one point you feel like you were in crazy town? Oh, yeah. It was definitely crazy town toward the end. Definitely crazy town. It was... It was, <laughs> it was kind of a kick it was kind of i'm just fast now like i want to know it was research at that uh, yeah i want to know now but the final straw was driving her home drunk and she's sleeping in my lap because i she likes to cuddle her it's like a little kitten you know which is very sweet so we're driving home after singing karaoke and having a good time up until you know she's incoherent and she snuggles up on my lap and I'm I'm really thinking this is this has gotten just nuts. This probably should end soon. This is, is I'm not sure this is worth it. Even you are realizing. even even <laughs> even the old man with the pretty young thing is going. I just don't think this is worth it anymore. <laughs> and she starts mumbling in her sleep. So I'm driving, and I said, "What did you say?" And she reaches up with her fist and smacks me really hard in the chest and says, "I told you to burn the body." And I, I just kept driving. I did, I, what do you? What the hell? So a little while later, I said, "What did you say?" Nothing. She's out. How many times did she say it? Just once. And then she was out. So we got home, and um, the next morning, I said, "Do you, do you know what you said to me last night?" But the next morning, you're. Not right away, right? You're cooking this elaborate breakfast. Yeah, them, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I found quite fascinating. I'm like, you're French some kind of... I like breakfast, okay? I, I know, but it was like French eggs and avocado Yeah, French post eggs and, and avocado. Po- yeah, and some hash browns and some sliced avocado. I mean, talk about... A little about bit of fresh like fruit. a little Stephen so. King moment there. <laughs> well, I wanted her to be comfortable. Because you knew you were going... Oh, I have to ask about this. I think you even said to me you knew that was going to be the last breakfast you were going to have This is it. It's kind of like the last supper, except it's the last breakfast. And um, and I said, you know what you said last night? And we're sitting out. I have this little patio area outside. I don't smoke in the house. smoke out there, you know. Oh, so you were having a little... Went outside after. Yes. Finished the breakfast together. Yes, yes. Lovely. And I Lovely said, little exchange uh-huh, yeah, conversation. Some coffee. You go out. Do you know what you said to me last night? So this is now outside. Yeah. In like a cabana? Yeah, it's like a little that, Where you have that table. little... Yeah, yeah. Okay. And she said, no, what? And I said, well, you hit me. And you said, I told you to burn the body. And she said, I did not say that. I said, oh, yeah, you did. No, I I said, you should have burned the body. I'm thinking, oh, you you know that you said something in your sleep? First you this, said you didn't know what you so said. It's so bad. I know. It's so bad. When she's trapped, it just falls apart. It's just awful. 
And I said, no, no. You didn't say about what I should have done or what I could have done. You said you told me to burn the body. Did you think I was Dan last night? I don't want to talk about it. That's it. That's it. You can't talk about it anymore. And it really just ended there. Yeah. It certainly sounds that this outburst that you're telling us about, Scott, was in fact Rachel thinking she was instructing Dan what to do with Sam's body. Mm -hmm. Because after all, Dan left Sam's lifeless body in the theater attic. And for her to make that comment to you, Scott, tells me that perhaps she and Dan spoke about burning the body because maybe Dan told her about the incinerator that was located in a building behind the theater. Which tells you a lot. Right. And the theater was located on a military base. And the building behind the theater was, in fact, a military hospital. And oftentimes our brave soldiers didn't come back in one piece and and their body parts were sent to the morgue and, in fact, incinerated. And there was this incinerator that Jeff Hathcock, who was the owner of the theater, Liberty Theater at the time, did show Dan this. He Dan was always fascinated with the macabre. And, mm-hmm. and I think it was Halloween when he gave him a tour of the morgue and pointed out the incinerator. So they obviously had this conversation because the idea of suggesting to burn the body makes me feel like she knew... She knew about the incinerator. Right. She went to visit the theater many times, but certainly the one visit that stands out to me is the visit that she and Dan made two nights before the murders. So all of this makes sense, and your story makes sense. Mm -hmm. So one uh, morning she gets a call, and she's... I think I was in the shower. She's very upset. And I said, what's going on? And she said, the police want to talk to me again. This was March of 2012 now, because they were delivering a subpoena. Yeah. Yeah. So she she said, well, they're coming here. I said, okay. So they came and they met her in the parking lot. And I walked down with her and they said, you you can't be here. They said that to you? Yeah. So I walked to the other side of the parking lot. Okay, whatever. And they were talking to her and talking to her forever. I'm thinking, I got to check out soon. (laughs) And I look over, and one of them reaches into his pocket and pulls out rubber gloves. And then he reaches another pocket, and he's doing a freaking DNA swab in her mouth in the middle of the parking lot. You know, I'm going, oh, my God, what the hell? So after they left, I said, what, what was that all about? She said, well, there's a box of evidence, and they keep asking me if there's any way my DNA could be in that box. And I told them no, so they asked if they could do a DNA swab. That was me thinking... They think she has something to do with this. But, but you had never contacted the authorities? Why? Why did you feel like you didn't um, want to do that? I, did, I didn't know anything. Well, I told you to burn the body is a big <laughs> yeah, that's, a hint. <laughs> that's not going to be admissible anywhere. There's nothing they can do with it. Yeah, but you should, I don't know. I would have thought you would have let them decide that. I would think that you would want to tell somebody, but you <laughs> you didn't want to tell, maybe because you still wanted to date her. No, well. <laughs> Is that the truth? Are we getting the truth oh, here I wanted to know. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Okay. You wanted to know before you were absolute, and you felt it might take a few more times. Yeah, I know. Look. If I go to the police and say, hey, uh, this girl was drunk and she said this, they're going to go, wow, that's interesting. What are they going to do with it? You just didn't think it, you didn't think it was enough. No, it's it's not. It's, even when I, when I did tell the police. But I was going to say, you did at some they, point tell the police. So let's yeah. talk about that. When did that? Because didn't you go to see them in Costa Mesa? They came and met me. Oh, they did? Yeah. At uh, the Starbucks across the street from, uh, from Medieval Times. Now, did they not sure come to was. meet you after they saw you March of 2012 at that motel? Yeah, States? it was much later than that. So yeah. they knew you existed and they yeah. wanted to learn more. Yeah. So what did they ask you? How was that exchange? I told them that. That was what I led with because I'm like, you know, she has something to do with this. She's at least the second murder. Because she knew before the second murder that the first murder had taken place. Right. Or else she couldn't have told him to burn the body. Right. They called, actually, the DA after they met with you and said, we've got it now. I mean, this this has got to be the, the thing that 
takes mm-hmm. us over the top here that we can charge you with murder. And he said, no, because you were an ex and maybe you had an axe to grind. And yeah, yeah so they didn't think that. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be he said, she said, she said, I never said such a thing, you know. Right. Ain't going to get anywhere with that. But, I mean, if all of your other stories are pretty accurate and pan out, why would you make this one up, right? Yeah. From everything I gathered from all the interviews I did with people that knew Rachel, they said she had a wild, jealous streak. So, this is just a theory. But I did speak with Dave Barnhart, who was a neighbor at the Camden Martiniques and someone that hung out with Dan and Rachel quite a bit up until the murders. And he did share with me that he cared deeply for Julie. He did have a huge crush on Rachel. Mm -hmm. He didn't feel like it was necessarily going anywhere, that it might have been, you know, a one-sided thing. But he definitely wanted to nail her. Yeah. It just wasn't going anywhere. But Julie, he really cared about. He said that really developed from a friendship. Like she was a genuine person and he really cared about her. They ended up consummating that relationship two nights before she was murdered. Oh, God. And I have to wonder if somehow Dave had a conversation with Rachel about that. Because he really did want to have a relationship with Rachel. And I think that might have been a way to make her jealous. And maybe that's how he thought he could get her. And Rachel finding out about You're that. You're blowing my mind right, right? now. Because Rachel was the kind of person that didn't want any other woman to get uh-huh. any kind of attention. Uh-huh. And she wanted Dave's attention, but she wanted to have it under her control on her yeah. terms. Yeah. And so she would do things in front of Dave at his Taco Tuesday party, like, watch this, watch this. I'm going to get Daniel to kiss another guy, and I'm going to tell him I'm not going to go home and have sex with him unless he does unless it. Unless he does it, yeah. And he would do it. Yeah. And she actually told, us, she, Barnhart, she told me this. She told you that story, yeah. too? Yeah. And so I'm just wondering if Dave Barnhart thought, I'll give her a little bit of her own medicine, and so therefore I'm going to tell her I have this relationship with Julie. And, you know, it's a theory. It might not the way it really happened but knowing Rachel after speaking to people like yourself who knew her firsthand Mm -hmm. it just seems like it would be something that would incite yeah a target and if you're already murdering one why not two and and Julie was like I mean sadly as her mother said in court I mean she was a prop or not actually it was a brother Taka that said that on the witness stand you killed my sister so that she could be a prop Mm-hmm. In your sick, demented mm-hmm. play, you know, and that's the truth. That's a the really reality. poorly written play, right? I'm ninety nine percent convinced that she helped plan the whole thing at a minimum. Probably for kicks was involved with some of it, but I don't understand why he doesn't roll over on her. Why he doesn't tell this story. I don't get it. I think that the reason for that is that he's protecting his brother, Tim. Ah. Okay. Tim, Tim's involved. Yeah. But that's another episode. (laughs) (laughs) She went to live with Tim for a while, though, after the murders, right? For about a week. She stayed at the motel with Lisa Golich, his girlfriend at the time, and that did not make Lisa... Any happier, for sure. <laughs> she uh, she did not like Rachel, didn't care for her. and But Tim said to me he never saw anybody light a pipe when, you know for the crystal meth better. I mean, he said she was just an old pro. I mean, yeah. usually if you've never done it before, it's yeah. kind of involved, yeah. I guess. And he said, not her. Yeah. Yeah, so that just tells you. <laughs> no, there, in, in fact, he said to me that if she speaks out and says anything... That uh, if 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 he goes down, she's going down. Yeah, and that you know told me a lot. Is he facing any charges at all at this no, point? He had, no, he he got a sweet deal. Ah, he got he did he got it because prosecutors were worried that the defense counsel was going to come up with uh, an insanity defense. Yeah, and so they wanted Tim to say that there was nothing there in his past that they had this sort of bucolic life and. And there was never any issues, mental issues. Mm-hmm. And, and so they wanted to make sure that they won this capital case. And so 
they were willing to uh, cut him a deal, and, yeah. and he's uh, he's laughing all the way. So, but he feels like uh, he, he got away with he got away with it, and and now we have to see what she gets away with. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know they are that is the reason why he has not said anything against mm. her. I'm 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 pretty well. It pretty seems like that. a pretty slam dunk case. I know there is no such thing, but she blatantly lied, and hopefully they'll. Uh, Hopefully they can get her for at least that. Stay tuned, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. If you could sum up in one statement what you'd like listeners to know about how you feel about Rachel Buffett. I sit here with you and we laugh a lot. Because I laugh a lot. That's just my nature. And you're charming and funny. There's really nothing funny about it. Um, and I I also laugh when I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that, that I didn't see through it sooner. I'm embarrassed that I didn't stop seeing her completely once I even began to think it was possible. Um, so I deal with that by laughing a lot. But it's obviously about as serious as it gets. And I love that you have the relationship that you do with um, Sam's father. And I'm probably with Julie's parents as well. And the last thing in the world I would want is for them to hear this and go, what are they laughing about? It's, it's, it's not funny. And it's not. And um, I, I've met uh, so many people in my life I've been an actor almost my whole life and just people of every description people of every background <laughs> every background every every everything there's so many different people she is the single only person I've ever met that I think and we already talked about my feeling about religion she is evil It's like she's an empty vessel. There's no soul. There's no compassion. There's no anything except ego and and a, a quest. It is a quest. It's a quest to do evil. It, it's amazing to me to manipulate people, to be the center of attention, uh, which all actors want to be the center of attention. That's why I'm sitting here with you. I want to be the center of attention. I won't kill somebody for it. I won't steal and laugh about it to someone who doesn't like stealing. I mean, it's... She's she's evil. I don't know. That's all I can say. And I'm embarrassed, so I laugh a lot. And I apologize to anyone who would be offended by that. Well, I... I feel like I could speak for Steve Hare at this moment. I know he would appreciate what you're saying. He also, though, finds humor in life to survive. I mean, his. sometimes I feel so guilty when he's making me laugh, and I think I shouldn't be laughing. But he said, if you don't laugh and you don't make me laugh, then I'm really, there's nothing left. Then I'm dead. Yeah. And so I think he feels humor is... A panacea for for the pain he lives with on a daily basis, and I can't imagine Daniel Wozniak. And if in fact she was involved with these murders, Rachel Buffett and whoever else was involved with these murders, murders took away his life, took away the Kibushi's life, and poor Raquel Hare says to this day she prays, she prays for Daniel Wozniak, which is truly extraordinary. But that's that's the woman she is, mm-hmm. and. So I just want to thank you for all of them to come on today and be so honest. And yeah, we laughed, but that's okay too. Thank you. Thank you. On our next episode of Sleuth, we continue our exclusive interview with Rachel Buffett's former boyfriend, Scott Errett, who had so many colorful memories of his two-year relationship with the Disney princess 
that he called into Sleuth and shared additional bizarre experiences he had with the girl he met at Medieval Times, where he and Rachel both worked. You can't make up what you will soon hear because reality can be stranger than fiction. If you enjoyed this episode of Sleuth, share it with a friend and be sure to leave a rating or review. Follow Sleuth on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.